0: You are listening to BitPodcast, a business podcast series produced by BitPod on behalf of PKF Malta. This series is brought to you by BitPod's co-founder, Dr. Marilyn Formosa. Hello everyone, I hope you're well. Welcome to this latest episode of the BitPod by PKF. My name's Alicia, I'm junior legal associate here at PKF Malta, and I'll again be taking over host duties of your usual host, Marilyn. Uh, In today's episode, we are continuing with the theme of some of the previous episodes in which we've been exploring in detail some of the ways in which COVID-19 is impacting our lives. And today we'll be exploring a rather more contemporary issue, namely dealing with the cybersecurity challenges that have in fact become very much eminent as a result of the pandemic. We have a very special guest today who is all the way from the United States. He is a principal in the Cyber Risk Management Group of PKF O'Connor-Davis in New York. He is a computer forensic specialist with extensive experience in securing and managing information risk across a wide range of sectors and industries. So without further ado, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Mr. Thomas DeMayer. Welcome.
1: Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. The coronavirus has clearly wreaked a lot of havoc around the world. In regards to this cybersecurity question, how do you think that COVID-19 has raised opportunities for cyber criminals, and how exactly are they taking advantage of the situation?
1: Sure, so, you know, when you look at the the cyber landscape, you know, the the COVID-19 pandemic has really created you know, what I would say that the perfect storm. And, and what do I mean by that? So, you know, we look at the opportunities, you know, one, many companies had to start to embrace, you know, by uh, no fault of their own, uh, a full work from home strategy, you know, something that they had never conceived before in their business continuity plans. In doing so, they had to quickly adopt, you know, new technologies that didn't go through the typical vetting process. You know, they might have had somewhat of remote uh, work from home strategy, but it it was never designed to meet the full scale of everyone at the same time. So you had this proliferation of of these these quick spun strategies that may not really be the most secure. All right, so now you start to increase exposure to the Internet with ways that they're potentially uh, implementing these solutions. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you know, when you start to think about this remote work from home strategy, again, you run into this issue where the business didn't necessarily have all the equipment that was necessary to support everyone working from home. So say, for example, not everybody had a laptop that they could just take home and work. You know, a lot of businesses, people just had desktops. So now you're into this issue where when they're designing their strategy for remote work, they had to allow people's personal computers to actually connect into the network. So now you have this situation where you have these endpoints that aren't managed by the business, so you don't necessarily know the security of the devices, right? because you're not controlling the antivirus, uh, you're not controlling the patching of the devices, but you're letting them into your network, right? depending on how you set this up. And at the same time, you have these endpoints that you're not controlling now storing your data. Now, depending on the type of business that you're in and and compliance obligations that you might have, that also starts to introduce risk, right? Because now you have data, which could be sensitive, that could have compliance obligations being stored on devices that you're not controlling, right? So you don't know if there's encryption, and again, you don't know if there's things like antivirus and things like that. Now now that we have this kind of perfect storm of overexposure to the internet, devices that aren't really managed and then you lay on top of it, the fear and uncertainty of the situation that, that's really resonating with with individuals. Now you have the, the ability for the cyber criminals to really leverage the psychological aspect, and that's where social engineering comes into play. You know, so yes, we've laid the foundation of we have these insecure uh, remote access mechanisms, but now we need to take advantage of it. And the way they're gonna take advantage of it is really that social engineering aspect that that method of using a social mechanism being voice, email, text, uh, to really hook into the end user to get them to do something, right? Make that emotional connection so that they click on the link so that they open up that attachment, which could then result in an, an infection. And this is where you start to see over the past couple months, we have increases in ransomware. You know, we have just increases in general in, in infections. And at the same time, you know, you start to see situations where, you have an increase in banking fraud itself, right? Because, you know, in the past, especially when you started talking about wires and ACH transfers, you know, that that has been on an uptick in the past couple of years anyway, right? Every year, year after year, uh, business email compromise and ACH wire frauds and things like that continue to almost double every single year. But within the past, I wanna say three months, again, you've had this explosion because it's taking advantage of the fact that the end users are kind of disoriented in where these wire instructions are coming from because there is so much flux in the environment, right? So say, for example, you know, best practices, if any vendor ever sends you an email saying, Hey, you know, we have updated wire instructions. Here's our new banking information. Here's our banking and here's our routing number. You know, a lot of times you would have this callback mechanism to kind of validate. That's true. When you had known good numbers, you know, the problem is with everyone kind of being displaced, that known good number that you once had is no longer that known good number, right? Because that uh, vendor on the other side is also working from home. So now you have these new numbers that are being introduced and now you start to increase, again, the surface area for uh, social type frauds such as, you know, ACH transfers and things like that.
0: Like you're saying the operational stability of businesses has totally Mm -hmm. gone into a flux because of this remote situation that we've, kind of been forced, or well, we've definitely been forced into, taking this into account, how can companies help their employees to detect and report uh, any sort of cybercrime, crime, like uh, phishing attempts, for example?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just like you said, right, it, it introduced this operational instability. And again, you know, my, my philosophy is, is yes, <clears throat> you know, the businesses had to make decisions to stay operational you know, and, and that's understood, right? You know, security is great, but at the same time, you, you have to keep the doors open, right? So you have to strike a balance between, you know, do we want to keep the lights on or, or are we going to shut down, right? But being that a lot of times you couldn't necessarily introduce the best cyber controls or maybe you didn't have the, the cyber security's best solution for remote access, you can compensate, right? And that's where fundamentally, regardless of your solution communication to the employees throughout this whole process is key. Right. And that's making sure that management has set very clear expectations for the end users that they understand, you know, that yes, you know, here's how we want you to save data. We understand you might be saving it to your device, but only save it to that device and maybe only save it into a specific folder so that once all this is done, it's very easy for you to, as, as the employee, to go ahead and delete, you know, just that specific data, you know, making sure that the employees understand that, yes, you do have to have antivirus and you do have to patch your machines in the interim, right? And then if they don't have those mechanisms, maybe the company provides, you know, uh, antivirus for a period or, or, or something to that effect, or they extend the IT support to the end user's devices just to kind of do health checks uh, to make sure, again, that they're safe. And then on top of that, you know, once the employees understand what the expectations are and that they need to, again, operate in secure manners and even the printing aspect of it, right? So now you have employees that are printing data at home, you know, do they have shredders? You know, are they cognizant of the fact that they shouldn't just be taking the company data and just throwing it in the trash? But this is also now, you know, introducing that type of training from an operational aspect, but then you have the, you know, how do we combat the social engineering, right? and continuing if you're not doing it already with the awareness training you know educating employees on how do you spot a phishing email you know what is a methodology on dissecting an email to see if there's red flags to see if something is wrong uh, educating them with you know what the most recent scams are you know so one of the things that we do as a firm you know I want to say every week we have newsletters going out with effectively the scam of the week and then during the covid crisis not only do we just have the regular scam of the week but we also have the covid-19 scam of the week going out right so we're keeping them aware of what the cyber criminals are doing so that you know they know in advance so yes if that email does manage to make its way through the spam filter and those types of things they know what's happening right it's that continual education and awareness now once you kind of educate them on how to identify malicious emails and you know spot phishing attempts you want to have a methodology. And again, if you haven't been doing this, to start to think about it now of phishing your end users, right? Phishing training. You know, these this is where the company purposely sends, you know, these mock phishing emails to the end users to see if they're going to click, to see if they're going to, you know, give credentials or start dialogue back uh, with with the person that's doing the fish, right? Because now once we understand the people that are fish prone, now the business could start to target those that are higher risk. And again, it becomes a, uh, an awareness education, right? It, it's a teachable moment because, you know, again, what we do as a company is, you know, personally at PKF O'Connor Davies, you know, we're fishing our employees at a minimum three times a month, right? And if they do happen to fail one of those fishing tests, immediately they're going into a remediation training, right? And the whole aspect is, you know, not, it's not a gotcha exercise, but it is a teachable moment, moment right? Because a lot of people say to themselves, well, it's never going to happen to me. You know, they can't fish me. They're not going to trick me. But then once these emails start coming in and they, and they see that they're failing, it kind of makes them a little bit more humble, right? And, and they start to embrace that, yes, maybe I can be a victim and, and I do need to pay a little bit more attention. And you start to to breed those behaviors that you want in defending against pretty much all this, you know, because if you look at what your biggest risk is going to be, you know, yes, you have might maybe increased exposure to the Internet as a result of your remote access strategy, but majority of your vulnerabilities are going to be taken advantage of through the social engineering. Right. So they're going to leverage the fact that maybe the machine doesn't have antivirus or is not patched by getting that end user to click or to do something. okay? So education, phishing training is key, and then also making sure that on the business side, you know, you very clearly establish that yes, if an end user gets a phishing email and that that end user, that employee, knows it's a phishing email, they fully understand what the communication process processes back to the business to notify the business so that the business could take action. You know, if the employee doesn't say anything back to the business, well then. That's a failed opportunity and then it creates exposure because if you know what I always uh, advise my clients is that if one person got it, there's a good chance that other employees got it as well. Right. And maybe that one employee didn't do anything, but you don't know if the other employees did. Right. So now if you have a clear process where that employee can alert the I.T. group, that I.T. group can then have their strategy where they're going to look and say, all right, I see this email. Let me go into the spam filters. Let me go into the servers and see if anyone else got it so that now the IT group can proactively reach out to those other users and make sure that they didn't click or they didn't fall for the scam. All right, so communication and education and training are key during this whole process. Uh, and, and even going forward, regardless of you know any event, you know, be it COVID-19 or any future event, Training and communication are key to your cybersecurity program.
0: Right. Yeah. I love the idea of the scam of the week <laughs> uh, <laughs> newsletter and the, the mock phishing exercise is really interesting as well. Like, basically, yeah. the most important thing in this regard is just promoting, uh, I suppose, a healthy suspicion. <laughs> well,
1: that, and that's the thing, you know, it, it's because. You know, so a lot of a lot of companies still embrace this concept of you know security awareness training is yes we do it on hire, and maybe we do it once a year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that's not effective. You know, you you really want to start to build a program where where it's continuous. You know, yes, you do it on hire. Maybe it's it's a little bit longer. Maybe it's that forty five minute hour training, mm-hmm. but then throughout the year you're seeding, you know, short little reminders, whether it's the newsletter like we have the mm-hmm. scam of the week. Uh, the phishing testing, uh, and maybe just short trainings throughout the year so that you're you're continually embedding it into the culture. And, you know, one of the things that we're even toying with is, you know, if if an employee really uh, continues to identify phishing emails and then they're really, you know, they really are phishing emails, you know, at the end of the month, the, the person that reported the most, you know, maybe we give them a gift card, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, and just really point it out to the rest of the firm to show that, yes, we take it seriously. So that we continue to empower the end users to to keep reporting, right? Because we want to know, and if we know, then we could respond, and you know, we keep everyone safe, we keep the firm safe, and we keep our we keep our clients safe.
0: And now for a quick intermission. At Malta. we offer a full range of immigration solutions and have dedicated ourselves to meeting excellence as a standard every time. This year our VIP Client Handling Division celebrates seven years of success, gratitude, friendship and trust. Our current offering covers second passport and permanent residence options for the following countries Malta, Bulgaria, Turkey the Caribbean islands of St Kitts, Dominica and Grenada, as well as E2 business visa applications for the US and the vetted EB-5 investment option through our trusted partners. Be a part of our success story. Get in touch with PKF Malta today. Communication, education, training are key. You know, COVID-19 or not, these are important to be going on all year round. Now, cybersecurity challenges, by their very nature, are a global phenomenon, like I was reading earlier, for example, about a case in the UK where fraudsters were taking advantage of health authorities' use of contact tracing, Um, so basically fooling people into believing that they've been in contact with someone who's been tested positive and then collecting their personal details to commit various Forms of fraud and so on, and I think there are probably countless other similar examples at the moment. Um, what has been the experience of cybercrime in the United States, and how are U.S. companies tackling this?
1: Yeah, so the, the experience uh, I think is the same across the world, mm. you know, and you know one of the things in, in a recent article that I kind of put out there was, you know. When you think about past social engineering and cybercrime tactics, you know, the cybercriminals are always looking for that situation that they can leverage, right? You know, maybe it's a local uh, uh, economic situation or a political situation, or, you know, maybe you do have uh, a localized scandal or something, something that kind of breeds interest for the population of the users within that area right that becomes the basis of how they're going to target their their phishing emails and their their social scams because they know it's going to resonate with those end users right it's going to it's going to hook into them and it's going to entice them to click or to respond and do those types of things you know something that we've never seen before again with with this whole covid-19 is that That localized experience and and that localized limitation of that issue that affects only a certain set of of people around the globe, that's gone. You know, this COVID-19, this this pandemic has really, you know, taken away the boundaries and spread across the globe, right? So everyone, every, every person, right? Regardless of geographic barriers, has the same fear and uncertainty at this point, which, exponentially exploded the opportunity for the cyber criminals to hook into that that fear at scale you know so like when you're talking about that email with the contact tracing you know we've seen multiple iterations of that you know and in and, and multiple different languages because again it doesn't matter who you are or or what your nationality is yes if you tell me or if i get an email saying that i've been in contact with somebody that had the infection it's kind of concerning right it's going to hook into me and I'm gonna, you know, respond in some capacity. So, you know, what we're seeing on the U.S. is no different than what we're seeing across the world. And yes, you know, you know, I've been dealing on pretty much a day-to-day basis throughout this process of just having conversations with our clients on what exactly their remote access strategy is. You know, fully accepting that yes, you know, some of the solutions may not have been uh, the first solution I would have advised them to go with if they had more time to deploy but this is what they had to do right that was getting them up and running but then stepping back with them and saying all right yes i know it's not ideal but let's think about how do we manage the risk in a short period a little bit more effectively so that you again you you manage the risk so yes you're operational but you're managing it at the same time and you know we're seeing things like ransomware you know uh, we just had an investment advisor uh one of our clients where same situation, you know. A lot of their traders and things like that—they were—they were in the office. You know, they had their desktops, they had their multi-monitor situations, and that's just—that's where they worked. And now with the remote access solution, you know, not everyone had a laptop. And when they went to go and buy the laptops to try to stock out, and, and and it wasn't even just laptops, webcams and things like that for remote conferencing. You know what what the company started to identify was that well, there is no stock, right? Because the whole supply chain has been disrupted. So when they're speaking to to the big companies that supply, you know, laptops, the Dells, Lenovo's, and HP's, you know, they were being told there's a three to four month wait before they're gonna get anything. It then resulted in, in them having to say, all right, employee, you know, you're gonna have to use your home computer. And, you know, they let them into the network using the home machines and then sure enough, uh, that home machine that somebody connected uh, had something on it and ransomware spread from that home machine into the network, you know? So these are the types of situations that we're, we're continuing to see and we're continuing to see the fallout from. And like I mentioned before too, uh, business email compromise has been rampant, you know, where the cyber criminals are taking advantage of the fact that, you know, there's flux in how people are communicating. You know, things are changing, you know, so ACH numbers, you know, we're, we're seeing it from from two sides, where. Businesses are getting emails saying that the employees banking information changed. So if an employee has direct deposit for say, for example, for their payroll, and we're seeing the scans pretty consistently as we did in the past with, you know, vendors saying, Hey, we have updated ACH information and money's going out the door. So what we're seeing is very much the same thing. And then how we're tackling it is just like we've said. You know, I've been advising my clients consistently, you know, uh, train, train, and then when you're done training, train again because some have kind of said to themselves during this period, you know, maybe I should back off. I understand people are in flux, you know, this is operationally unstable, it's a, it's a lot of stress. You know, we're gonna hold back on the training at this point because we don't want to overburden the employees, you know. And my, my response has been back to them and say, no, you know, think of it a little bit differently. You know, if I was leading your company or if I was leading your cybersecurity program, this is the time that I would double down on the training. You know, it's one of those things that doesn't cost a lot, you know, depending on how you approach it, but it's incredibly effective. You know, so you, you got to get in front of it and you got to stay out there.
0: So with all of this considered and with all of your expertise on the matter, um, what is your opinion on the way forward? <clears throat> what would your advice be to those worried about this amplified cybersecurity? Um, I know we've touched upon training. Um, yep. Are there any other aspects which you think are important to stress?
1: There are. There are. So, you know, while we're in the midst of it, again, certain decisions had to be made. Right. And I get that. But I think coming out of this, you know, this, this is, again, this is a perfect opportunity for any business to kind of step back and reflect on what exactly their process was. You know, how quick were they able to transition to remote access strategy? That solution that they put in, you know, is that the solution that should go forward? You know, can we do it better and secure uh, the end devices? Uh, starting to think about, did we have enough equipment? You know, do we want to shift from having every employee or a good bulk of our employees having desktops or, you know, maybe we start to transition in where every employee is going to have a laptop going forward. Again, they have enough power, they have enough storage. The need for a desktop may not be there the way it was in the past this way if something does happen you know you're already positioned with the mobile equipment that the employee can take home and continue with operations right secondly you know think about the fact that your traditional barrier you know in the past when we thought about a network you know we thought of it as an office we thought of it as a firewall Right. And we thought of this, you know, this gate kind of shielding the company from the rest of the world. Right. I think what was happening even before this, obviously now with the whole COVID-19 has accelerated that movement. But that whole traditional network design is gone. Right. There, There is no longer a perimeter. You know, I think going forward, this whole remote strategy and this 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 adoption of work from home. Is going to exist, you know. Yes, there's going to be offices, and you're going to have that model without without question. But there's going to be a lot more acceptance of people working from different locations. You know, again, that that physical confines of having to be within a location uh, to get to the office might not be as relevant, or coming into the office as frequently might not be as relevant. Which means that you have to start to embrace a new solution on how you're going to manage those endpoints and how you're going to maintain visibility. You know, because, yes, training is very important, but when you think about a long-term solution, you know, you have to be able to manage the devices that the employees are using, right? If you want to secure your data and secure your environment and your customers and your clients and the business that you're running, you have to be able to control the endpoints. And this is where that new philosophy, and really it's more of a marketing term than anything, but this whole zero trust concept comes into play. Now, zero trust is this new philosophy that, hey, look, we don't care where you connect from, right? It's this connect from anywhere model, but we're going to have solutions in place that are going to verify the device so that we know it's our device, right? We know it's owned by the business. We're going to verify the user so that we know that, yes, you are an authorized individual, you are an employee, you are a contractor, and we're going to limit access to what you need. So that regardless of where you are, we have the best in breed controls to make sure that only authorized individuals and devices are accessing the data, All right? So that, that I think is going to be critical when you look forward. Yes, continue to train, but make sure that your solution is secure, There, whatever your remote access strategy is, take the time now to redesign it. You know, hope, hopefully, you know, we don't have another wave of this, but look, I mean, things are gonna happen in the future, and then make sure that you have visibility on those endpoints. And, you know, if for anyone that wants to research what that is, again, the the term is zero trust.
0: You provided us with some amazing tips and insights on how this should go. So thank you so much for that. And that does bring us to an end to the session. It's been Amazing to hear your ideas on this, Thomas. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: No, my pleasure, and, and I, I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to Bit Podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter